Welcome to another episode of the Collective Evolution Podcast. Today, I want to explore a subject that has fascinated me since I was a kid, and it gives us the opportunity to really re-examine and question who we are as humans. Now, this question, of course, is what happens when we die? And to explore this question, I'm going to be interviewing somebody. It's actually an interview I did in the past, um, but this is somebody who had a near-death experience. Now, subjects like this give us a chance to explore a sense of curiosity and wonder that often we don't engage with in our day-to-day lives, unless, of course, we're into subjects like this and looking at it all the time. But this exercising of our minds to stretch and dive into that curiosity can expand our awareness and our consciousness to new places, which ultimately helps us reimagine what's possible in our world. Now, of course, this subject we're going to talk about is somewhat controversial. The question of whether consciousness originates in the brain or from somewhere else has been debated extensively in the last couple of decades. Now, it could be hard for some of us to change our minds on subjects like this, too. Just being open to talking about this may butt up against some of our dogmas, whether it be religious or scientific. So it takes something special to sort of stay with it and actually try and dive into it uh, wholeheartedly. So I'm going to be playing this interview that I did with Franco De Nicola. He's a mentor of mine. He recently passed away in 2022, but I did conduct this interview with him years before he passed while he was dealing with an illness that ultimately was the reason why he passed. He's going to recount his near-death experiences that he had uh, during this time. So we're dealing with a subject here that has been obviously a mystery for centuries. Um, We can't know for sure, from a material point of view especially, what happens when we die. Thus, when we're exploring a subject like this, there is a degree of uncertainty that we have to be comfortable with while still remaining open and curious. So drawing on episode five of this podcast, where I discuss embodiment and the importance of it as we explore information and conversation, my challenge for you today is to stay embodied as you listen to this episode. Make a point to notice your body, come back to it, be present with it as much as you possibly can. As you listen, notice how you feel and track any sensations that you do have whether you're having any objections to the content or whether it resonates with you or whether any curious questions arise, just be with it, pay attention to it and notice. Is there a sense that due to the subject matter, you maybe even want to stop listening? Notice that as well. There's no right or wrong answer here. This is all just about noticing. This skill that you can practice and develop while listening to this can be used in virtually any other conversation or when you're exploring any other subject matter as well. One of the last things I want to say here is it's okay if you don't believe what's being presented here. The question is, can you sit with it and be curious about something that is absolutely real for the person who experienced it? Can we still fully listen? I'll leave you with one last comment from our last episode about Elon Musk and the Twitter files, as it outlines a great set of observations about the process of remaining curious. This comment was sent in by Wanda on our YouTube channel. So thank you so much for sharing this, Wanda. And here it is. I remember hearing another video you had done with one of your colleagues talking about this issue. I kind of got pissed off and stopped listening. After after thinking it through, I realized that I had started to think in only one way and had started to dismiss any information that didn't go along with those I have picked to be my favorite on the issues that are important to me. While I certainly don't listen to any mainstream media, I realize that there is a lot to sift through in the alternative media as well. So while I don't like the conclusion that I was headed down, the closed-minded road, I appreciate you bringing up this issue and speaking about it. So with that, let's get to the interview. So you've had a near-death experience. Mm-hmm. And of course, in your particular case, that led up, that was happening over time, where you had an illness, you were sick. Let's describe that. Let's start from that beginning. What 
you know, what were you feeling? What was the illness that eventually moved into? Well, my particular case uh, at, at that point in time, uh, even when I did actually have uh, what people called a near-death experience, which I would reword and because there is a near-death experience where you're feeling that you're fading away and you actually don't go through the death process, but then there's the death experience. You actually die. Your body shuts down, everything stops. You actually have the, the body, your, your soul and your human entity leaving the body. So that's the one I had. But to lead up to it, uh, at the time, uh, this is only a few years ago, that I, my body was deteriorating. And in actual fact, the organs were starting to fail. At that point, we de I didn't really know what was going on. Nobody seemed to know. Even when I went to the professionals and got tested, they, all they could say is the body is destroying itself. It's just basically deteriorating. It wasn't until after that experience, a couple of months or so later, that I ended up going to a clinic, and that's when they said I had late, late stages of Lyme's disease that <laughs> actually had mutated into over 200 uh, strains of it and that were attacking the body. Because at that point in time, I had already started to lose uh, you know, memory uh, intensely. Uh, my eyesight had already had started from some time ago, and I had gone through a period of time I had lost taste and smell uh, that, a few years before that. But in essence, then the organs were starting to fail. I had 70% of pain in, in the body. So even with the tests and everything else that was done, it wasn't determined what was going on prior to that. But I also started to feel that um, I started to fade. You know? And what led to that whole experience was that I could feel that the body was shutting down more and more and more. And I barely had enough you know, capacity to breathe or to, to experience any life force left in my body. And this was also somewhat like uh, uh, reconfirmed by a lot of what the professionals were saying. Like, you know, your body is shutting down. Oh, absolutely. You, you know, your, your chances of even surviving through what the illness you have are pretty low, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because one of the uh, people that had checked me out at that time and, uh, when they did the tests and so forth, he, in his office, looked at me in the eyes and said to me five times, how are you still alive? Mm -hmm. There is no possible way that you could be alive mm -hmm. right now. Yeah. Because of the vitals and the fact that I had hardly any more blood in the body because the, the bone marrow had stopped producing blood and the body was just being consumed. So in essence, he was shocked that I was still alive you mm -hmm. know, at that point. And that was just before all of this happened, like a month before. Right. And, you know... My statement to him is, well, they're keeping me alive. Something's keeping me alive because, in essence, yeah, I feel that, you know, I'm at that door constantly. So that was from a professional at that point in time. It was later on that I can, you know, share with you what occurred. Even if we're not going to talk about that, in May of the time, because this all happened in February, in May I ended up going to a clinic where they did a whole a lot of tests and sent my blood out and so forth, and that's when it was confirmed I had the Lyme's disease that they already had said that I had gone too far. Yeah. Like, in essence, uh, they gave me a less than a 10% chance that I would actually survive 60 days, right? Because it had gone too far and they didn't, couldn't even do anything to it. But I already had the death experience just prior to that. And I said to them, it's okay. You know, if I leave, I leave. I know how it feels. I had the whole experience. 
And if they want me around, and when I say if, uh, uh, or they, meaning that the fact of the beings that I work with, the energies that supported me, the guides and whatever else, they'll figure it out. They'll help me out in one way or another. And that's when the doctor had said, well, you know, with that attitude, you'll probably have a high chance that you'll, you'll make it and, you know, go uh, through this. And then later on in October uh, of that same year, uh, I went to uh, connect with another clinic that was in the States. And at that point in time, when I sent all the paperwork that, from the previous test and when they did their, their test, um, and this clinic specialized in Lyme's disease, and they had been doing it for uh, quite a few years prior to even, uh, I think it was like eight or nine years they've been actually treating people. And when they reviewed my case and went through all the stuff, they said, oh, you're like worse than I've ever experienced. In fact, in the 18 years or 16 years, they were doing it already for 16 years, actually. For 16 years, we've never seen a case this far gone. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you, people that weren't even close to as far gone as you are, they all died on us. Right. It was the ones that we caught earlier that have recovered. So your chances are next to nil. Mm -hmm. And I said, well, the same thing. I said, let's do whatever we can. Whatever happens, happens. I'm all right with this, right? So where we're at here is you've you know, confirmed you have Lyme disease. Multiple clinics have confirmed this. They're looking at the case, and it's like, okay, there's something pretty extreme going on here. Yet your state of being is fairly sort of it's, it sounds like not ultimately that phased by the idea of, of passing and it's partly because you had the death or near death however people want to describe it experience so let's let's go back to that experience a little bit yeah the, the other thing that comes in too is because you know my experience of my own life of yeah. leaving the body on a regular basis not through a death experience uh, i know what it's like on the other side even in that regards even without the near-death experience. I So there was no real fear because you know that you're immortal, you're infinite, you know that the human entity will just reincarnate in another physicality, you know the soul will actually choose either to be here or not here and reincarnate or choose not to reincarnate. It had So that already was very stabilizing for me. There was no fear around that. Mm -hmm. But when the actual near, uh, what we call the near-death or the death experience occurred, uh, I felt that at that point I, I started to cross over in a sense where I felt everything was being, you know, drained from me in a sense where. So when I went to bed, even my partner, Kimberly, at the time, uh, we kind of already knew that there was no, ch there was a hard, a small chance that we we're actually going to, you know, I was going to make it to the next day mm -hmm. because I already felt that the fading. So in that evening, you already could sense that, you know, something more extreme than, you know, some of the previous, like, wow, yes. it really feels like things going, you were starting to feel a buildup. Yes, yes. Describe yeah. some of that buildup, I guess, of like how it started to feel that evening. Well, it happened to work out, it was on Valentine's Day, okay? Yeah. Um, so we had made plans, and we had made plans to possibly go to a, a, a local uh, place for, uh, for dinner, and then possibly watch a movie. Now, I didn't want to disappoint my partner, so in essence, I kept saying, okay, that's, that's aim for that. But I, the way I was feeling, um, I didn't know if I would even be able to do that. Okay. But later in the evening, when it came to the time that we were going to do that, I knew I couldn't leave the house. There was no way. I was just feeling so... Um, it, it just felt like I didn't even have the, the energy to move anymore. Okay. And it was just that. So then my partner, Kimberly, had you know, went out and picked up some food for, for us to eat. And then instead of going to a movie or anything like that, we just 
put something on Netflix and whatever else. But even then, I could hardly finish, have the dinner because I was feeling that sickly. And the point, I started to feel fading out. Like my, you know, the mind is not clear and not attentive. I could see myself fading in and out like I'm almost seeing another scenery being kind of pulled out of it and then back in pulled out and back in so I can tell that that was already happening uh, even when we put the movie in uh, on while we were eating dinner I couldn't even watch that and then I just basically said I gotta go lie down so I left and I went to lie down and uh, but uh, even with Kimberly uh, understanding at that point in time she, she sensed it that mm -hmm. you know Something's going to happen here because there's, you know, I was in a really bad state. When I did lie down, uh, I felt myself as I lie down that, whew, like things were just, like I, I, I lost connection of the body. Mm -hmm. I could feel the body just fading away. Right. Right. And the interesting part about that is, I was conscious. Okay, I'm leaving now because it. I really felt because I lost connection with the body and I could not feel the body anymore, which in a way was, a, uh, was, it was great because the pain, I couldn't feel it anymore. But I, the, the loss of the connection of the body also felt at that point in time that there's, that is already happening. Right. And it wasn't until shortly after that that what seemed like I'm opening my eyes and when I did, I could see the ceiling inches away from my face. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I go, oh, why am I looking at the ceiling this close? And I remember thinking that. I didn't say anything. I'm thinking that. I go, oh, okay. So I kind of saw myself because it was a version of me. It wasn't even actually my body. I looked, I turned around and I looked down. And I could see my body on the bed. I go, okay, this is different, that's happening. And with that realization, I can now feel my body lifting. Even for, I mean, my, my conscious, my, my presence, just leaving the body completely now. Now it's not only a few feet off, it left. Mm -hmm. And I saw myself moving. I can see, I can feel this movement through space almost. Mm -hmm. But... Did I leave the planet or something? It almost felt like I was just being zoomed out in a way. But at some point, I saw myself in this huge bubble. It was like a grayish, silvery grayish bubble that was like a, what we call 100 meters or we can go 300 feet in diameter all the way around. And I'm floating in the center of this. I'm not touching anything. Now, I felt like I almost had a body, but there was no body in a sense because it wasn't the same. Um, and it felt great because there was a huge difference between when I was in the body where 70% of my body was in extreme pain. Now there's no pain. I felt a lightness. I couldn't even feel any dialogue of the mind or what you can call the ego panicking or anything of that nature. It was so quiet. It was so peaceful. And it's like, this is cool. This feels good, right? In a way, right? But at the same time, I wasn't 100% confirmed that I had left the body or what really was taking place and why am I in this bubble sort of thing. Then my guide showed up and he was in front of me and he goes to me, why are you here? And I said, I don't even know where I am. 
I said, I'm, in, I'm floating here. And he says, well, you died. You left your physicality. I said, well, you know, then why are you asking me the question? You're saying, well, no, but why did you choose to die? Why are you here, right? I said, well, I don't think I had much of a choice there because, you know, and he says, really? And I go, okay, yes, there was times I felt like I didn't really want to be here anymore because the body was so compromised. It was so uncomfortable to be here and I didn't even feel that I was doing anything. And that was the key when I said that, that I didn't feel I was actually making a difference. So he said, oh, okay. And then what he did is he said, okay, let's take a review of your life. Let's look at your life. So behind him, which was part of the bubble, it almost be it became like a screen. But the screen wasn't the actual bubble. It seems like there was a, a see-through screen, but you could see my life from the point I entered, the roles that I played, the different energies that were coming through me, the connections that I had. And as I'm viewing this, this went on for quite a process. As I was viewing that, I was actually in, wow, I didn't realize that I played that that much of a role, really, because in essence, most of the time I thought, what am I even doing here, you know, especially in the earlier stages of my life, because people were quite asleep in a sense where there was no consciousness or awareness of anything that was really going on. Because I remember as a kid looking around, I go, holy smokes, everybody's a walking zombie creating more zombies, you know, <laughs> because it seemed like there was no life or actually uh, conscious direction of anything that was taking place. Everybody was just following systems and programs and belief systems. And it was handed down from generation to generation type of thing. There was light, a small amount of changes, but in essence, everybody was... Uh, and I remember looking at people's eyes and didn't look like anybody was even home, per se. And I, I'm sure all of us mm -hmm. have had that type of experience. But as he was showing me all the different stages of what I was experiencing, uh, that I've the roles that I played that I was totally unconscious of at the time, I could see the effect. And after going through it without, you know, making the story that much longer, when I was looking through the whole thing and showed me all the stages leading up to it and, and the, how many people were affected and they went to do certain things, like even yourself, just the connection that we haven't had spun you into a whole direction of creating CE and doing all types of things. In fact, you were one of the ones that were kind of on the screen uh, showing that was affected in one way or another. So after that compelling of, of displaying of everything, I go, well, I guess I did do more than I imagined that I did, you know. So then the question came from my guy, so what do you want to do, okay? Do you want to return and continue? And I said, well... If I'm going to do that, I cannot have a compromised physicality to the extreme that I'm having now. And I need to understand also why of all of this, right? So it was really more not that it was verbally experienced because most of the communication, all the communication wasn't verbal. It was coming into my mind as we were looking. So it was all very telepathic communication. It wasn't like I heard his voice. But in essence, in my head, I heard the voice, okay? So there was word exchange and I could see movement, but in essence, it was more back and forth. So it was like, no, you can change that. You don't have to, you know, play with a compromised physicality at that point in time. So I did review and it's like, okay, well, you know, I have a partner that, uh, you know, we were in a, a kind of a, a situation at that point in time that would leave... Um, a very uncomfortable situation. Plus, I felt supported by the partner being there. 
and also some other agreements that I had made that, you know, I felt, uh, you know, I didn't really finish my work and I don't want to be leaving the planet and not finishing what I came here to do in the first place. So with those, those intents and so forth that I had agreed, okay, well, I'll go back. Now, how do we do this? And he says, no problem, whatever it is. Now, there was come a, a, another part of the scene that was there, too, where there was somebody that I had a connection with. I kind of kept seeing from this peripheral view that this other individual was there for a while, observing, but was quite a distance in the, in the bubble, right? And I thought, hmm, I think I recognize this person. And it was somebody you interviewed, too, some years back, you know? And I was going, ah, that looks like that individual, right? But I couldn't make... So anyways, my guide said, okay, you can go back. And so at that point, he says, all right. And then I could feel myself, you know, drifting down through the bubble. And it seemed like I came out. And all I could see is space. And I could see the planet from a distance. And I was moving toward, and I had no ship or anything. I was just like in a physicality, but not this type of physicality. It was more a, a light field physicality. And I was just moving towards the planet. When I came back, I ended up in the house and I started drifting down to the body, but there was like a three foot, it stopped, it paused, okay? So here's my body on the bed and here is my essence of what just went through that whole process and it wasn't coming together and I'm going, okay, body there, me here, like are we going to merge again? And it went for a couple of minutes for sure and it seemed like a long time at the time and then eventually... It just dropped into the body. And the moment I dropped into the body, there was like a shock, and I took my first breath. But the breath was painful, extremely painful. It felt like my lungs had dried out, and there was like sand in my lungs. And it was, I remember taking the first breath, and I was like, oh man, this ever hurts, right? And as I was trying to breathe, it was like this, the, particles of sand were moving and scraping the inside of my lungs and, and so forth. That's what it felt for quite a while. And it started to subside, not totally, but it subsided enough where it was more. And I realized that my heart hasn't even started yet. Then the heart started. Well, that was another extreme pain because in essence, when my heart started, it felt like somebody took a sword, stuck it into my chest and was twisting it and coming out of my back. And I was like, oh, that hurts. Now, I said some more colorful words in my mind. I didn't scream it out, okay? That started with F and ended it with K. You know, this and then sucks, right? So, in essence, not to make this uh, R-rated. So, in essence, I remember that part. And so, not only was the, the breathing painful, the heart was painful, but shortly after that, within a few minutes, I felt like somebody was pouring hot liquid in the side, inside my brain, not on the surface, on the inside, and it started to spread. So there was like a heat starting to move through the body. And I, I remember feeling that heat in the body, and I'm going, okay, maybe it's the blood circulating, something's going on here because I can feel this heat. But shortly after that, it was like a pain, you know, the sensation when your arm falls asleep or something like that, I can feel that throughout the whole body. And of course, that was uncomfortable. Anyways, uh, shortly after that, you know, it started to stabilize and it started to become more comfortable. 
and I went into this altered state where there was something happening with the body and my consciousness at that point in time uh, because I went into this altered state. When I did come out of it, which was morning, uh, Kimberly had came into the room and I can't recall exactly what you had said, but something about the, the fact of, you know, did you die or something like that overnight? And I go, yes, I did, right? And, uh, but I, you know, I decided to come back or I made the agreement to come back at that point in time. It was funny because this person, remember that I had mentioned that I was seeing in the bubble, had contacted us, I think the same day, if not the next day, and said, did Franco die? Because I saw him, whatever, right? And uh, so we, we responded and said yes and so forth. And she goes, because I can remember her going like this, looking at me and going, what the hell is he doing? You know, type of thing, right? And uh, she claimed the same thing without actually us communicating. So she was kind of, because we had a connection at that point in time that, you know, if we, if I left, she left and vice versa. So in essence, uh, at that point in time, uh, that came to the realization and it changed things for me because it was a it's almost like okay this feels very doable now my physicality had improved slightly so my conversation was okay we need to get this thing resolved and then shortly after that i ended up with two other clinics that same year that you know confirmed what was really happening and you know, there was no possibility, but in, in an essence, I remember saying, okay, um, if they want me to stay here, I can leave and I came back, I can also be maintained. And I was being maintained. Now, the near-death experience, because I call that a death experience, because I was gone for over an hour, okay? And now some people say, well, if you died for an hour and there was no support, how could you come back? And I can tell you, you can and I, there's been many, many people that have gone that. I remember, I remember connecting with a person that lives in Florida that we had a connection, we communicated online uh, some years ago, and she explained to me her experience. She had a, a car accident, and she was pronounced dead at the car accident. She ended up being shipped to the morgue, and she was dead for many hours. Like there was no response. And she remembers going through a whole review process too at that point in time and then coming to back into her body. So imagine this. She's in the morgue with all these other carcasses, if you want to call it that. She bounce, she steps, she wake, she comes up. And there were three other people in the room that were morticians. The one kind of passed out, the other one fled, and the other one was like totally shocked. How could this person come back to life? So it is possible, and that's just one example, right? Just a quick interruption here. If you'd like to support this podcast and all of the work we do, consider becoming a member of our Explore Lounge. As a member, you'll get access to our Overcoming Bias and Improving Critical Thinking course, which, as you may have guessed, is actually a skill very much based in presence, awareness, and embodiment. You can learn more at join.explorelounge.one. So for me, it was a great experience, even though it was very negative in, in, in the sense of labeling it, extreme pain, functionality, failure, and all of that stuff. But that's my own personal experience that I'm sharing. 
over the years, I've worked with a lot of people that have gone through transition. Okay, transition of leaving their physicality. And I can see that, you know, the, the mind has a, a way of reacting and creating fear. Because the ego mind sees its completion, sees that it no longer exists. As long as there's no physicality, there's no more existence of what the ego mind. When it comes to the soul or the human entity, it doesn't have that fear. In that case, because the, the, the soul will actually... When it leaves, it has the freedom going through not only a review process, but going through a process that actually clears out what it doesn't require and actually fine-tunes it and then decides if it's going to reincarnate or another. The soul, the, the human entity does the same thing. It goes through a process. It's a different process, but it's a, a similar has similarities to the process where it actually looks at what it's accomplished, what it has not, and been, a, been able to... Um, to decide what it wants to do, incarnate, or actually just work as the collective or anything of that nature. Yeah, okay. Got a, got a couple questions here. Yeah, um, go ahead. So going back to when you were coming out of the physicality in mm -hmm. your experience and you're up at uh, the ceiling, yeah. you were saying things like, you know, it was like I opened my eyes and, you know, I turned around and I looked back at my body. Now, there's everyday life, you're thinking... Is it my brain that's the eye? Is it the essence of me that's the eye? Is it, you know, my, where, which part of you, when you say, I turned around and looked, which part of you was seeing that and, and how could you know? Yeah, that's a good question. And uh, as far as I was aware of at the time, it was my essence that was mm -hmm. looking at it because my physical eyes were in the body, okay? Um, and... I also, when I looked, it was more because my essence wanted to for me to see that there was a departure from the physicality. It wasn't a necessity because a lot of times when you leave, and I've seen people leave their physicalities in an accident or in a death, because you know I've, I used to work in uh, uh, you know going into hospitals at times when people are on their deathbed type of thing, and then um, see them leave their physicality and their two essence would leave, you know, the, the human entity and so forth, and the physicality would be there. And they would be looking at everybody there and looking at their physicality and they can see it. But that was their essence, the two levels of essences that we're looking at. So at the time, it, I didn't see it so much the essence of my human entity. It was more my essence. But somehow my human entity must have been involved to some degree because it became very aware of what was really going on. Not so much about leaving the body and being in, the, in that whole review process, but the transition in and out, it was very aware, even though it was not present in the body at the time. I didn't get complete you know, confirmation that, okay, the human entity stayed there, but in a sense, it almost felt like it held space. For it, the energy and whatever else, so that the body wouldn't, you know, would be able to be reutilized again, sort of thing. But yes, so it really was the essence, and that same essence was the part that flew into space, what looked like space, when you know, it's basically moved, and then it ended up in this body. And so it was the essence that was looking at that part, which would be the soul essence, the the the, the presence of that beingness part of it. Now, the interesting part of it uh, with all of that there was a, a part of the consciousness of even my human part that was also playing out. 
So in essence, it's like questioning where, you know, you kn that essence of you knew what really what happened, but at the same time, there's a part of me that was also questioning. So I can feel that uh, 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 a cluster of that essence of having a human experience was carried over or carried within that essence that was observed because that was the one kind of, kind of asked a few questions at the time that you know I described at the point. So that's what I can say from from that observation and then reviewing it later after all that process happened it was like okay what part of me was involved in all of this and as I started looking and of course I can tune in and, and get some clarification around that. So that's the part I was looking. So when you're now with this guide Mm -hmm. And um, you're in this bubble, this big silver bubble. Um, again, it's like this feeling of, of okay, this is, this is me. I'm making an agreement. I'm, I'm re-talking about this stuff. That is the soul again yes. at that point. How does this feel different from the mind and being in the body, right? So how, how can you describe that difference so that it's, it's almost like, because listening to this, you could, you could imagine everything, but you might be imagining it still through the mind and still through some of the ego. What is, what is some of the differentiating factors there of how okay. you are speaking with a guy? Yeah, because at that point in time, a lot of my, uh, what I would have experienced through the body and the human uh, ego mind that was uh, involved, it, it basically, at that point in time, it would, have, it, it would have brought in a lot of the belief systems and so forth that would have interfered even the conversation. It's like, what about this? What about that? What happened here? You know, uh, you know prove it to me and stuff like that, which would, that wasn't there. Okay. So when I was in the presence of my guide at that time in that, in that space, that energy that was being held, uh, it felt there was no questioning, what about this, what about that? But there was also the questioning, is this really real, hap really happening or something of that nature? So that wasn't part of it. Plus, it wasn't a big deal in the sense of a reference point of saying, uh, no, it's uncomfortable being in that human body and all the things that happened in my life in all those 50-odd years and so forth. None of that was in place. So... I, from the essence point of view, it's like, oh, yeah, we made an agreement. We understand that and whatever else. And, okay, what can I possibly do? And, you know, at one point, even prior to that, I said, you know, replace, let me do a soul, what do you call a, a drop-in? You know, let's take a, a good body that, you know, somebody's leaving and I can use that body. But it wasn't being offered that way as a possibility because, you know, they worked on this body for whatever reason to get it ready. Uh, or so, something like that. So it was very. It felt very different. It's very calm. Um, it had a, a deep knowing. It didn't question. It was like whatever was being shared. It's like it actually understood it, know it, and it was like very clear. That's kind of mm -hmm. what I felt with the with the difference between the two. Um, in terms of when you look then at the experience, right? Mm -hmm. uh, a skeptical person, someone that might be in the materialist side of, mm -hmm. of the world might say something like, how do you know that wasn't just a dream state? How do you know that when you went to sleep that night, you didn't just dream everything you experienced? What's, what's yeah, the that, difference? Yeah, that's a good one. And I've, I've been asked already that question mm -hmm. by others at this point in time. Uh, you can distinguish between the two because in essence, um, for me, I can tell dream states and I can tell the difference between altered states. And when I'm stepping into other realities or when I'm engaging with other beings or anything of that nature, I've got a lot of different reference points that I, I'm aware of and I, I'm skilled at because of the fact that I've had this happen many, many times. Even the departure and all of that stuff, I leave the body on a regular basis. 
okay? And usually I go into an alter state and I can feel myself leaving that state really quickly, okay? And I'm somewhere else in a different reality, in a parallel world or in a simulated uh, world, if you want to call it that, or I'm on a ship or something of that nature, or going on another planet. So those are very different. And then the dream state is very, uh, it's, it has certain parameters of how you experience it. Okay. So for me, it was different, very different than I had any um, way to refer and say, well, it matched this, this, or this. It didn't match any of them. And then being present there and even being reminded that I was actually left the physicality. And I knew, and then that's why we had even had those other, other confirmation because I knew how it felt to go in the body. I felt the, the, the departure and the re-entry and, and the pain and all the stuff that was associated with it. Also the confirmation that, you know, even Kimberly at that point in time felt that I had left overnight. And then somebody else totally in, on the West Coast, you know, thousands of miles away, uh, calling and saying, did Franco die? Because I saw him, you know, mm -hmm. type of thing. So there was a lot of different confirmations, even if I was going to be skeptical. Yeah. Now, to somebody that's totally skeptical, you know, in essence, yeah, you can, you can punch holes through it uh, all you want, and that's okay if that, you're at that state. But if you're in a state where you start to connect with that, you can see that that resonates only because you're familiar with it. We've all died and taken on other physicalities. We're not accessing that because it doesn't want to hamper with our human experience, because especially if the, the mind says, Oh, I don't want to. I don't want to look at that. Even though you know, when we do regressions and stuff like that, you see other versions of your life stream, right? So, is that a dream too? You know, and in essence, yeah, you can call it whatever you want to call it, because in a way, it is a dream of a dream of a dream in a, in, in connection. But it's really a reality that you know is part of that dream. Because even this, being in a physical form, being on the planet, is a dream. Okay, mm -hmm. because if you actually did awake fully you would see that you're a source, that you are, in fact, you never left. You, in fact, that this is a projected holographic dream state or what we call an elaborate video game, which is just being projected. You never left, you never traveled, you'd never done anything. But all of those have been plugged in as part of the experience. So in essence, to go back there, I knew for sure it wasn't a dream because of my past experiences of having various versions of different departures and dream states. Like even... The, the leaving of your body and taking on another person's body or something of that nature in some of the other processes that I've done working, you know, from that is very different. They're all very char characteristics, very different. So I'm hoping that that's enough to give yep, you. For sure. So what would be your key takeaway from not only your knowledge throughout your life, but, you know, added through the experience there that you've had when it comes to death, what would you tell people? It's another adventure. And the thing is, it's not scary in any way, shape or form, except the mind will, ego mind will say that it is scary, that it's over because to the ego mind, it has that as a reference point. Absolutely. Now the ego mind sees it's, it's job is done, that it stops existing, but that stops existing only in that individualized physicality, that, that operating system, because the collective is still there. Okay, the, the uh, projection is still there and so forth. So it will create the idea of non-existence and that it's over. It will create different fears depending on your programming. So if you're programmed religiously or you're programmed that uh, in a sense that you've 
saw that death is scary and it's an end or something of that nature, then that will be projected in your reality when you're leaving the physicality. There will be that fear. There will be that kind of something playing out in that regard. However, when you're actually tuning in, because I've seen so many times where people actually, the, the, the ego mind goes into a panic for a while, and then the ego mind shuts down. And what, what causes that shutting down is the ego mind says, okay, it's over. There's no more. I don't have to even play this role. And it stops. And they go into the really peaceful state, conscious, peaceful state. And I've had people say, I've never been so quiet in my mind. Okay. But then they can also see and be more connected to their, their soul. Because now it's a more complete communication without all that noise. And the same thing with the human entity. And it reminds them, this is good. We're just leaving. We're just leaving a vehicle, which is a projection anyways. And we're now going to go into a process where we can decide what we're going to do next. So it's, it's like we're getting on a plane, leaving to go to a new adventure. So you're leaving to go and kind of decide what you're going to do from there at that point in time. So there's a very powerful peacefulness. And anybody that I've worked with uh, has, um, no, that has done the transition they tend to go into a peaceful state uh, prior to that in most cases because the ego mind stops and stops projecting the fears, projecting that something nasty is going to happen, that it's the end or anything of nature, and then it's uh, knowing. That's the part that comes in. It's the knowing that I am infinite, that I am immortal, and this was just an experience, just a vehicle that I take on to go play on this planet and that I can now choose to come back in a different form. I can choose to be in non-form. I can choose to go into another form. Mm -hmm. The human entity is a little different. The human entity says, okay, great. I leave because I'm done with this experience and I can now either become part of the collective human entity or I can choose to reincarnate in another physicality and then get to meet another soul. Okay. And a different physicality with a different life stream. So it's, it's always adventures. If you look at either one, it's adventures. Mm -hmm. And it flourishes on the adventure. So it's not afraid about leaving. It's just the ego mind will project that. But that can change at any time, even before the left. Now, something, in some cases, the fear goes right to the end. Okay? Now, there is also the imprint part. So if there's a deep imprint of several lives where you feel that there is, uh, you know, from the experience that there's so much uploading into the what you can call the, the soul's imprint, saying that, you know, oh, you know, there's, there's this idea of experiencing hell, for example, or going through some other process. It will just go in there just to, it's like, I'm going to step into this movie just to test it out, and then I, I leave anyways. Right. So there's a lot of this different variables, but that's what I can share from, you know, the experience. I mean, the experience is one thing, but also the other stuff that I've experienced and working with other people kind of give you a, a fuller picture of really what takes place. So, like I said, you know, it's the ego mind will think it's the end or it's horrible or you're going to go someplace, especially if you've got a long belief that you've done a lot of wrong things, mm -hmm. okay? You're going to believe that you're going to be punished mm -hmm. because the ego is you're going to be punished, right? The soul has no issues because it never gets punished. The human entity doesn't get punished either. This whole thing about karma or, you know, you're going to pay... Well, that was a whole different thing in which we've talked about through CE, uh, you know, CETV and so forth through Elevate, you know, where it's just basically uh, it was a balancing yeah. part of it.
So there you have it. That is Franco Dinicola's experience with what he calls near death, but as well as a full death experience. Be curious to hear if you had any particular thoughts anywhere along the way during this interview. If you do, feel free to throw down some of your thoughts, questions, or comments in the or in the comments below if you're watching on YouTube. Um, if you're listening on the podcast, maybe head on over to YouTube and have a look at the comments. Be curious to hear from you guys. That's it. That's all. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. Feel free to pass it on to a friend or family member. If you'd like to support this podcast and all of the work we do, consider becoming a member of our Explorer Lounge. As a member, you'll get access to our Overcoming Bias and Improving Critical Thinking course, which, as you may have guessed, is actually a skill very much based in presence, awareness, and embodiment. You can learn more at join.explorerlounge.one.